As many of you no doubt know, I have a very good friend of the canine variety. And this summer, the hound and I have been spending no small number of nights sleeping outdoors under falling stars, all of which is very nice and poetic, except that the dog has developed a habit. And as I slumber, she tends to sneak away and play with porcupines. And when I speak of this as a habit, I mean that literally. It's become habitual just as much as pliers and bloody quills and emergency trips to the doctor. So I'm turning to you, listeners of the internet, in hopes that, I don't know, perhaps you know a porcupine bounty hunter or Porcupine Extraordinary Rendition Service. Help me out here in the name of the snout. Good evening. It's Friday the 14th of August, 2009, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. The Doctor's Heroism by Villiers de Lilladam To kill in order to cure. Official motto of the Brousse Hospital. The extraordinary case of Dr. Halidon Hill is soon to be tried in London. The facts of the matter are these. On the 20th of last May, the two great waiting rooms of the illustrious specialist were thronged with patients holding their tickets in their hands. At the entrance stood the cashier, wearing a long black frock coat. He took the indispensable fee of two guineas from each patient, tested the gold with a sharp tap of the hammer, and cried automatically, All right! In his glassed-in office, around which were ranged great tropical shrubs, each growing in a huge Japanese pot, sat the stiff little Dr. Halladon Hill. Beside him, at a little round table, his secretary kept writing out brief prescriptions. At the swinging doors, covered with red velvet, studded with gold-headed nails, stood a giant valet whose duty it was to carry the feeble consumptives to the lobby whence they were lowered in a luxurious elevator as soon as the official signal, next, had been given. The patients entered with dim and glassy eyes, stripped to the waist, with their clothes thrown over their arms. As soon as they entered, they received the application of the plesimeter and the tube on back and chest, Plough! Breathe now! Plough! Good! Then followed a prescription dictated in a second or two, then the well-known, Next! Every morning for three years, between nine o'clock and noon, this procession of sufferers filed past. On this particular day, May 20th, just at the stroke of nine, a sort of long skeleton with wild, wandering eyes, cavernous cheeks, and nude torso that looked like a parchment-covered cage, lifted occasionally by a racking cough. In short, a being so wasted that it seemed impossible for him to live, 
came in with a blue fox skin mantle thrown over his arm and tried to keep himself from falling by catching at the long leaves of the shrubs. Tick, tick, plough. Oh, the devil! Can't do anything for you, grumbled Dr. Halliden Hill. What do you think I am, a coroner? In less than a week you will spit up the last cell of this left lung. The right is already riddled like a sieve. Next! The valet was just about to carry out the client, when the eminent therapeutist suddenly slapped himself on the forehead and brusquely asked, with a dubious smile, "'Are you rich?' "'I'm a millionaire.' "'Much more than a millionaire,' sobbed the unhappy being whom Halliden Hill thus preemptorily had dismissed from the world of the living. "'Very well, then.' Go at once to Victoria Station. Take the eleven o'clock express for Dover. Then the steamer for Calais. Then take the train from Calais to Marseille. Secure a sleeping car with steam in it. And then to Nice. There, try to live on watercress for six months. Nothing but watercress. No bread, no fruit, no wine, nor meats of any kind. One sp- teaspoonful of iodized rainwater every two days, and watercress, 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 pounded and bred in its own juice. That is your only chance. And still, let me tell you this. This supposed cure I know of only through hearsay. It is being dinned into my ears all the time. I don't believe in it the least bit. I suggest it only because yours seems to be a hopeless case, yet I think it is worse than absurd. Still, anything is possible. Next! The consumptive Croesus was carefully deposited in the cushioned car of the elevator, and the regular procession commenced through the office. Six months later, on the 3rd of November, just at the stroke of nine o'clock, a sort of giant, with a terrifying yet jovial voice whose tones shook every pane of glass in the doctor's office and set all the leaves of all the tropical plants a-tremble, a great chubby-cheeked colossus, clothed in rich furs, burst like a human bombshell through the sorrowful ranks of Dr. Halliden Hill's clients and rushed without ticket, into the sanctum of the Prince of Science, who had just come to sit down before his desk. He seized him round the body, and, bathing the wan and worn cheeks of the doctor in tears, kissed him noisily, again and again. Then he set him down in his green armchair in an almost suffocated state. Two million francs, if you want, shouted the giant. Or three million. I owe my breath to you. The sun, resistless passions, life, everything. Ask me for anything, anything at all. Who is this madman? Put him out of here, feebly protested the doctor, after a moment's prostration. Oh, no you don't growled the giant, with a glance at the valet that made him recoil as if from a blow. "'The fact is,' he continued, "'I understand now that even you 
You, my saviour, cannot recognise me. I am the watercress man, the hopeless skeleton, the helpless patient. Niece, watercress, watercress, watercress. Well, I've done my six months of watercress diet. Look at your work now. See, here, listen to that. And he began to drum upon his chest with two huge fists, solid enough to shatter the skull of an ox. What? cried the doctor, leaping to his feet. You are? My gracious, are you the dying man whom I... Yes, yes, a thousand times yes, yelled the giant. I am the very man. The moment I landed yesterday evening, I ordered a bronze statue of you. "'and I will secure you a monument in Westminster when you die.' "'Then, dropping himself upon an immense sofa, "'whose springs creaked and groaned beneath his weight, "'he continued with a sigh of delight and a beatific smile. "'Ah, what a good thing life is!' "'The doctor said something in a whisper, "'and the secretary and the valet left the room.' Once alone with his resuscitated patient, Halladon, stiff, wan, and glacial as ever, stared at the giant's face in silence for a minute or two. Then, suddenly, "'Allow me, if you please, to take that fly off your forehead!' And, rushing forward as he spoke, the doctor pulled a short bulldog revolver from his pocket, and, quick as a flash, "'fired into the left temple of the visitor. "'The giant fell over with his skull shattered, "'scattering his grateful brains over the carpet of the room. "'His hands thrashed automatically for a few moments. "'In ten cuts of the doctor's scissors, "'through cloak, garments and underwear, "'the dead man's breast was laid bare. The grave surgeon cut open the chest lengthwise with a single stroke of his broad scalpel. When, about a quarter of an hour later, a policeman entered the office to request Dr. Halliden Hill to go with him, he found him sitting calmly at his bloody desk, examining with a strong magnifying glass an enormous pair of lungs that lay spread out before him. The genius of science was trying to find, from the case of the deceased, some satisfactory explanation of the more than miraculous action of watercress. "'Constable,' he said as he rose to his feet, "'I felt it necessary to kill that man, as an immediate autopsy of his case might, I thought, reveal to me a secret of the gravest importance, regarding the now degenerating vitality of the human species.' That is why I did not hesitate, let me confess, to sacrifice my conscience to my duty. Needless to add that the illustrious doctor was almost immediately released upon a nominal bond, his liberty being of far more importance than his detention. This strange case, as I have said, is shortly to come up before the British Assizes. We believe that this sublime crime will not bring its hero to the gallows, 
for the English, as well as ourselves, are fully able to comprehend that the exclusive love of the humanity of the future, without any regard for the individual of the present, is, in our own time, the one sole motive that ought to justify the acquittal under any circumstances of the magnanimous extremists of science.'